0: Happy Father's Day to all the dads. I would just encourage you by saying that what you're doing in raising your children, you're sowing into eternity. I've been at it for a few years now, and looking back over those years, spent a lot of hard times, spent a lot of times where I felt like I completely failed, was inadequate, couldn't do the job well. But just keep, don't grow weary in well-doing because in due season, you're going to reap if you don't give up. Keep sowing into the Spirit, sowing into your children. Those seeds will produce eternal results. And I, again, of looking back now. I see those seeds, and I'm amazed at how they're coming up in my children. It's, it's to the glory of God. It's because of His grace. But He gives us the privilege of being part of that process. And so, Good job, dads. You're my heroes. You're my heroes. All right. Everybody stand up, please. Shake around a little bit. Get the blood flowing. It's 20 after 11. You know what that means. Lord, help me. My goodness. All right, let's pray. Would you like for God to encounter you today? All right, let's, let's reach out to Him. Father, come by Your Spirit. Implant Your Word, the living Word, inside of every heart and soul. I pray that You not let anyone escape here without an impartation, an implantation of Your living Word. Let the life of Your Word be planted in our souls and our spirits that we would never be the same. Let eternity happen here, even this morning as we look into your word. And come, Holy Spirit, you are the teacher of the church. Come and teach us. Reveal Jesus to us. Reveal your heart to us. And let us be active in taking hold of what you desire this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to go to Philippians and spend most of the morning in Philippians, mostly in chapter 2. We'll start out with a verse in chapter 1 of Philippians. Now that I'm a grandparent, I have discovered that something that is really fun to do is to tell your grandkids stories about their parents when they were growing up. And um, just pondering and meditating over this message this morning. A story came to me that my grandfather, my father's father, used to tell me. He told it to me repeatedly. And uh, I've used that to title this message. And this was a story. He, he loved to tell me this and he would laugh and laugh with a belly laugh after he told me. Don't get your hopes up too high, it's not that awesome. But he said, Your dad came home from school one day. He was probably 10 years old or so. And I saw he had this real sad face, he's just moping. And I said to him, Dickie, what's, what's wrong? He said, I, I was in a race today at school. And he said, I came in third. His dad's like, third? That's not bad. That's not bad at all. How many were in the race? <laughs> he said, there was only three in the race. So the title of my message this morning is, I am third. And, and where we want to go here, we're going to look at verse 27 of chapter 1 of Philippians. A lot of really meaty stuff in these chapters that I want to get into. We cast vision. How many got one of these bulletins? Okay, we're going to keep referring back to this because we're casting vision. And it doesn't just happen because you cast vision. How many know that? It happens because we're partnering with God in building what He wants we believe with all of our heart and soul. This is God's dream for His people and specifically for us at Heart of the Father. His, God has a dream for us. The Father God has a dream for our body. We want to partner with Him in that dream. And so I'm just going to read you a paragraph in starting out before we get into the Scripture here that we're going to talk about covenant community this morning. This is part of that dream. I have a dream That a covenant community would be formed in which every person is bound together as living stones in a holy temple. A place where love is not in word and tongue, but in deed and truth. Where the relationships are supernaturally deep and where love is sacrificial and real. That God would so infuse us with love for each other that we would each be less concerned about our own feelings and opinions and actually have in ourselves the attitude that was in Christ Jesus considering others as more important than ourselves that's a mouthful and that's a miracle that doesn't just happen from our natural being nice people and liking each other that's a miracle of the holy spirit that he works inside of us that we have to partner with him we love the community part right Let's, let's be friends. Let's get along. Let's love each other. Let's hang out. Let's eat wings. Let's play dodgeball. All of that. That's great. That's wonderful. That's part of it. The covenant part is where the rub gets in. You know what a covenant is? You know the Hebrew word for covenant all throughout the Old Testament? You know what the verb that is most commonly connected with that is? Anybody? To cut. Because how God introduced covenant To Abraham was, take these animals, cut them in half, put one half here, one half here. Take these birds, cut them in half, put a half here, half here. And then I'm going to walk through the middle of that. Covenant involves sacrifice, always. And so covenant community sounds great. We're just going to be one big happy family. But the, the real deal is that it requires sacrificial life and heart and and rather than listing nine bullet points of how we're going to do covenant community and you sign up for every one of the nine really what comes before that is that we have to get a mindset of what community is like our minds are screwed up when it comes to covenant community i can tell you you know why cuz we're americans we're radically individualistic we want to have our space don't come too close Don't touch me. Don't shake my hand. Don't smile at me. If you've ever lived in the Northeast, that's the way it is. If you walk out in public in the Northeast, I live in Connecticut and New York. The first time my wife and I went back, she was born and raised in Connecticut. We we were sitting in a mall in Bridgeport, Connecticut. I said, baby, find me one person in this whole mall that's smiling. Just one. Just one. She couldn't because the northeast culture is, a little, is different than the south and even florida if you smile at somebody there and say hi to them on the street they think you're a drug dealer <laughs> or that you're going to rob them and so they want you to but look this is american culture we're all radically individualistic okay for to get what god wants in his body we're going to have to change our mindset There's no easy way to say it. We just are. Okay, verse 27 of chapter 1 in Philippians. Let's, let's go right to the word here. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What is that, to walk worthy of the gospel of Christ? So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, in our culture, for a group of people to have one mind, would you admit that would be a miracle? Have you ever looked at Facebook? Have you ever read the internet? Have you ever read the blogs? Have you ever read the comments on the blogs? Oh my goodness! Polarization is our culture. Everybody's opinion is right because it's theirs. How do we get to one mind? How do we think the same way? Well, we have to have a pattern that we're going after, that we're going to let our mind be molded to. And I'm saying that it is this. It is the mind of Jesus Christ. We'll get to in chapter 2 where Paul commands, have the same mind, think the same way, keep thinking in the way that Jesus thinks. I'm here to say this morning, some of the things that I say this morning may cut. They cut me. That's what part of covenant is. If we're going to get to the place, we say, God, come, have your way, come in all of your fullness. He goes, okay, build me a house where I can do that. And that is a people that are of one mind. Do you recall in reading through the book of Acts that those phrases are used over and over again as well? They were all of one mind and one soul. They were all in one accord, right? That doesn't just happen. That's a miracle. And we need God To do a miracle in us as a people, as a body here. We can get along and we can like each other and we can think you have a pleasant personality and all of those things. But to get what God wants, it's going to take God to do it. But we have to partner with Him and say, Lord, come and do that in me. If I need to be cut in my own heart and soul, if my individualism needs to be sacrificed to some degree, come and do it. This is where we're at in the process here of this vision. We're deciding if we're willing to pay the price or not. I believe from the book of Acts, I believe from revival history, which I've studied most of my adult life and taught, that you can produce revival on some level By spiritual hunger and spiritual gifting, but you can't keep it by those things. I'm gonna say that again. You can cause, in a sense, you can be the catalyst for revival coming by spiritual hunger and spiritual gifting, but you can't keep it that way. It won't last and it won't stay. That takes oneness. That takes what Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, that they may be one even as we are one. And this is the question. This is what we're going after. There's a mindset that tends towards oneness. What is that mindset? Who would like to know what that mindset is that brings us into real oneness, the kind that God can inhabit? That's what we want to look at. So verse 27, we haven't finished it yet. I I want to hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's interesting in this verse, most of our translations miss it, but the word there that's translated conduct yourselves is actually act as citizens. I'll read the Amplified Bible just to bring that out. Many other translations as well. Only be sure as citizens of the kingdom... So to conduct yourselves that your manner of life will be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So there's a way that citizens of the kingdom of God think about community. In this book of Philippians, ten times Paul uses that phrase. Think like this. Think like this. Think like this. Think like this. Why? Because that's what we have to have to have oneness of community. We have to think in the same way. Okay, that's all intro to come in To chapter 2. We're going to start reading at verse 1. Chapter 2 of Philippians, to me, I say it's like Christmas china theology. You know how you do your Christmas china? What do you do with it? For us, we pull it out of the top cupboard, we bring it out on Christmas Day, we set it on the table, we go, man, isn't that beautiful? That's so nice. That's beautiful. The Christmas trees, the snow scenes, all of that stuff. And then when we're done with Christmas dinner, we wash those plates, and what do we do with them? We put them back up in the shelf, and we don't have any interaction with them day to day. Philippians chapter 2 is like Christmas China theology. We go, isn't that beautiful? That's so nice. I love that. But we don't have a lot of interaction with it on a day to day basis. That's where we're going today. Let's interact with this in a way where we go. We, we need, we have to ask the question, God, is this real in me or not? And to what degree? And to whatever degree it's not real in me, come and encounter me and make me part of the solution. You know, as leaders in the church, you hear all kinds of criticism about what's not happening and all of that. And, and I'm not whining, just telling you the truth. But, but here it's such a blessing. I want to recruit everybody into being part of the solution. Because we need every person to be part of the solution And how this is going to happen. All right, not very many amens yet. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to guarantee that you're going to get any more as we move through this. Um, but but let's, let's go and look at it. Verse 1 of Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 and then we're going to make some comments. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation in love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. Holy Spirit, how do we make your joy complete? Being of the same mind. There it is again. Maintaining the same love. United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Again, this is a miracle. You, you can't get this kind of unity by having a sign up sheet. This is a miracle that God works in our minds and in our hearts. We think like Jesus thinks. That's where we have to go. Verse three. What is that same mind, Paul? Holy Spirit, what does that say mind, Paul? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude. The Greek says, keep thinking this among you. Keep thinking this among you. Keep thinking this among you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's just pause there for a minute and look at verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Any testimonies? Any testimonies? How would you get there? Oh, there's a little gap there in our Christmas Day theology. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Probably about 20-ish years ago, there was a movement that started, and it was uh, on the radio and in print as well. And, and the movement was called I Am Second. And what this brother did, and I laud him for what he's doing, he, he got celebrities, like Chip and Joanna Gaines were on there, sports celebrities and others, and they're giving their testimony. And they're telling how Jesus changed their life from being a self-centered person to now being a God-centered person, and now they're not number one in their life, they're number two, except... We're supposed to regard others as more important than ourselves. So actually, I want to start a new movement called I'm Third. I'm Third because Jesus is first. He's the unquestioned Lord of all. And I'm going to consider you as more important than me. It doesn't matter if I'm more gifted than you or smarter than you. It doesn't matter. I'm still going to consider you more important C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, made this statement. He said, it's totally ludicrous and foolish to think because you have a greater deposit of wisdom or grace or gifting that you're better than somebody else. All you are, you're not better. He said, you're just a greater debtor because everything that you've been given is a gift from God for you to give to them. It's a different perspective. So I am not... a Second... I'm actually third, so I've got an idea for a bumper sticker. You want it on a shirt? I am third. I think it would be a great conversation starter. I am third. Anybody want to sign up? The other one that I've got is a bumper sticker or t T-shirt, so I've got another idea. You know, you know, salt life, that whole thing that came out salt life, life at the beach. I, I do love the beach and the mountains. Most people do. But what if we had one? Instead of showing the seashore and the palm trees and the ocean, it didn't say salt life, it said servant life. And it showed a picture of somebody on their knees with a bucket and a towel washing somebody's feet. Now we're talking kingdom. No, brother, I'm going to work and I'm going to make this money and I'm going to retire and I'm going to live on the beach, and I... that might not be the mindset that produces what God's after. I'm second. Humility of mind, same mind. Keep thinking this among you. There's a mindset change that God wants to bring. And then look at verse six, excuse me, six and seven. Says this, this mind, what mind was in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped? Verse 7 But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Here's the mind that we have to grasp. What was the mind of Jesus? He is God. John 1 says there's not a single thing that was made that He didn't make. He made every single thing. He is the one who is deserving of all honor, of all glory, of all power, of all respect. Is that what He got when He walked on the earth? No, He was despised, He was rejected, He was treated shamefully and He was crucified. He emptied himself. Of what did he empty himself? Question. Jesus emptied himself. Let me answer it. From my perspective, we could talk about a lot of things. This is a theological mystery. It's called the kenosis, right, in theological terms. This is where Jesus emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? Well, I think in a word, he emptied himself of what he deserved. Of his rights. Of his privileges. So let me give you four things here that I've listed that Jesus emptied himself of and see if you can connect with any of these things. He emptied himself of pursuing his own desires and agenda. John 6, 38 says, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is not about, So listen, this this is so classic Jesus. It's not about my ministry. Don't you get it? Why wouldn't you, if you were Jesus and you performed the greatest healing of healing a guy that was paralyzed for over 30 years laying at the pool and you raised him up and he was healed, and then the first thing you tell him is, don't go tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Whatever you do, don't tell anybody. Jesus did that multiple times in the Gospels. You go, well, it was because the crowds were too big. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. A lot of times it wasn't. The reason was because Jesus had no desire in himself to promote himself. If I get promoted, it's because the Father's promoting me. It's not because I'm self-promoting. Self-promotion is the air that we breathe in America. And we're all infected with it. Oh, my goodness. Bible college. I've been to two different ones. They basically teach you there. Go out and self-promote. Make sure you connect with the right people. Self-promote. Get online. Do all, all this stuff like that. I'm telling you, it's not the kingdom way. Whatever, Say what you want. I, I told you this wasn't going to be a lot of amens today. <laughs> Second thing that Jesus did, he didn't pursue his own desires. He laid that down. He emptied himself of his own desires and agenda. He emptied himself of the need to be recognized and appreciated by others. John 5.41, I do not receive glory from man. That's, that's greatness. That's greatness. John 8.50, I do not seek my glory. I was reading this week in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 45. Anybody know who Baruch is? You know who Baruch is in the book of Jeremiah? Baruch is like Jeremiah's assistant. And he's the one who wrote down Jeremiah's prophecies, and Jeremiah would send him out into the community to read the prophecies. Well, who knows what Jeremiah's prophecies were like? It's no use resisting. You're going into captivity. If you fight, it's going to be worse for you. They're going to kill you. They're going to take everything you got. There's no way to fight it. God's mind's made up. Just forget it. Don't rely upon the temple. Don't rely upon your traditions. You're done. You're toast. You're finished. God's judging you. You're over. Well... That's not a popular message to go up and stand on stage and read the blog over. Well, I've got a prophecy from Jeremiah today. Like, he, like uh, Ezekiel says, when he came and spoke his prophecies, they said to him, all right, what's the bad news from the Lord today? <laughs> Jeremiah was kind of that way. So Baruch was evidently a skilled man. He had aspirations of actually making something of his life. He got hooked up with Jeremiah, who was a real prophet, but in chapter 45, it's so interesting. A whole chapter is devoted to a prophecy that Jeremiah gave to Baruch. It's chapter 45 of Jeremiah. It's only five verses. Baruch is discouraged. He's like, God, what am I doing with my life? All I get is rejection everywhere I go. This is not working out for me. I know there's got to be. Is there another prophet in the land? Like, Can we hook up with a positive sort of a prophet? here's, Here's the prophecy. It's only five verses. I'm going to read you verse five. Word of the Lord to Baruch. But you, are you seeking great things for yourself? Do not seek them. You know what your problem was, Baruch? You're so disappointed because you had this image in your head of what obedience to God was going to be like and the reward that you were going to get, and you just need to get that out of your head and not worry about that because this isn't about you. This is about God. And if you're in it for what's about you, you're in the wrong place. That's sobering. How many would love to have a word from the Lord from Jeremiah? Maybe not. Maybe not. Number three. What did Jesus lay down? He laid down the desire for a comfortable and undisturbed life. Mark ten forty-five. The Son of Man's come not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. And many other things. The Son of Man has no place to lay His head. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. Jesus didn't have, He, he had enough food, of course, the Father supplied for Him, but He didn't have a comfortable and undisturbed life for sure. And number four, what, what did He empty Himself of? His right to be treated honorably and respectably. He laid it down. The Son of Man, Will be despised and rejected and treated shamefully and killed. Have this mind in you. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What, what, what mind is that? My best life is coming now. <laughs> Payday's coming on Friday. I'm not diminishing that God is good to us and blesses us. I can testify. Absolutely. But I'm saying, if we want the kind of community that God is calling us to, we have to have this mind in us that was in Christ Jesus of emptying ourselves. I just lost half of the people that were going to sign up. But you know what? We can't alter God's desire and His Word for our own desires. Servant. Let me read a quote by Richard Foster. (laughs) Serving without recognition, such a crucible. Nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service, And nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. The flesh whines against service, but screams against hidden service. It strains and pulls for honor and recognition. It will devise subtle, religiously acceptable means to call attention to the service rendered. Somebody called the other day, and I was just praying for this sister, and the Lord spoke to my heart like, You're supposed to give her your car. And I'm just rejoicing with her that the Lord provided her need. Maybe. Maybe. Verse 7 again. He emptied himself, taking the form of what? What did Jesus take the form of? A bondservant or a servant. You, you know what the Greek word is, right? It's the Greek word doulos. It's used all throughout the Bible, and it means slave. And I know in our culturally charged times now where everything's going crazy, let, let, let's just let the air back in the room and say that we all hate and despise and call evil and demonic racism. We all agree on that? It's of the devil, okay? That's not what he's going after here. He's saying we're supposed to have a mindset of a slave. How do we do that? I'm going to read to you Matthew 20, verse 26 to 28. Do you know that Jesus is actually the one in the New Testament that used this analogy? And then Paul caught it from him of of being a slave and of having that mindset. Jesus is the one who actually first used it. So in Matthew chapter 20, I'm going to read it to you real quick. Verse 26 to 28. You got it up there? You got it up there? Okay, I didn't put it on there. Matthew 26 to 28, he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It's not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. That's a different word. That's the word for deacon. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Jesus used this. He also told his disciples a very interesting story in Luke chapter 17. They came to Jesus, and they said, Lord, increase our faith. And he said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you'd speak to this mountain, be pulled up, plucked up, cast into the sea, and it would obey you. And then he started on this thing. What do you think? When a master wants to eat and the slave comes in from the field, does he sit down, clean himself up, and eat first? No, Jesus said. No. He goes and washes his hands, and he serves the master and gives him what he wants. And then after the master's finished, he goes away. He cleans himself up. He makes his own meal, but he always serves the master first and not himself first. And so Jesus says this in in uh, Luke 17, verse 10. He said, in the same way, after you have done everything that you were commanded, you should say we're only unworthy slaves. We've only done what we were told to do. No amens. There's a mindset that we are supposed to take into ourselves. So, what Jesus deserved compared to what he actually demanded as his right, I call this the humility gap. Jesus, being God, having all rights and privileges, never sinned, totally obeyed the Father, only did what was right, only spoke in loving ways, never sinned in any way or violated any person in any wrong way. Perfect in all of his ways, we've seen. And he came down and took the form of a bond slave. The gap is bigger than we can fathom of what he deserved and what he actually got. He got spit on. His beard got ripped out. He got beaten, pummeled, crucified. Our humility gap is much smaller, but we have a much harder time navigating it. This is our rights. This is what we get. And we're just ticked off about it. I can't believe they said that to me. They didn't even shake my hand or smile at me at church. (laughs) We've actually had people leave this church because all of the elders didn't shake their hands, only one. That's true. The humility gap between what we deserve and what we actually get. Ours is actually pretty small, but we have a hard time navigating it. This is what the Holy Spirit's saying, you have to have the mind of Jesus, though His worthiness and His rights were staggeringly high, and what He got was absolute, abject dishonor and disrespect. That's what bond servants do. Culture says love feels like something. Jesus says, love looks like something. Culture says, love feels warm and affectionate and affirming. I'm not saying that's not part of real love. Jesus said, no, actually, what love does is that it takes up the basin and the towel, and it does the most menial things. It does whatever's needed to meet the need of the individual in front of them. Well, that would compromise my dignity. No, it wouldn't. You don't have any dignity of your own. If we look at what we deserve, come on, let's, let's talk Bible now. Is that okay if we talk Bible in church? If we, if we look at what we deserve, what all do we actually deserve from God? Hell is what it's called. We deserve hell from God. That's what we deserve from Him. That's our desert. This is what grace and the amazing wonder of grace is. Jesus comes on the scene. We're standing. This is justification. We're standing before the bar of God, who is the judge, who knows everything. He's got our rap sheet. It wraps around this room three times of all the offenses that we've committed, all the times we've ignored, belittled and dishonored God and people. Our rap sheet is enormous. And we come, he calls us before the the bench to stand to get sentenced. And we go, he's got this rap sheet and we're just looking at, oh my gosh. I forgot about all that stuff I did when I was 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. I forget the time when I stole money from my mom out of the money jar over and over again when I dishonored them, when we had parties in the house when I was a teenager, burned holes in the linoleum rug or flooring in the kitchen because I had knuckleheads for friends who came in there and smoked and put their cigarettes out on and I had to try to fix that. All of these things, stupid. My rap sheet. Did you honor your father and mother? No. I cursed them. Do you know that in my law that Children who curse their parents are worthy of stoning and death? Did you honor the Lord your God? No, I loved a candy bar more than I loved you. That's true. Did you treat your body like it was my temple, honoring me in it, carrying your vessel in honor? defiled it every single day, every day, with drugs, with illicit sex, with whatever. What's my verdict going to be? I'm dead. I'm standing before the justice of a holy God who knows everything I've ever done. I'm dead. And he comes out with the most astonishing verdict. My head's hanging, my knees are knocking, I know that my rightful destination is the lake of fire. And he raises his gavel and he says, not guilty because this man, Jesus, took the whole rap sheet and absorbed all of it into himself and took all the punishment for every one of those 10 million sins that you committed he took it into himself and paid the punishment for you my goodness this is grace we don't deserve it we deserve nothing we're seriously entitled in the Western culture. We think we deserve this, we deserve that. I deserve a house, I deserve a nice car, I deserve a trophy wife, I deserve a big bank account in retirement, I deserve respect and honor at the banquet. I de- we don't deserve anything, nothing, zero, nada. That's the gospel. So it shouldn't be a huge stretch for us to go, I can do this. God, where's the toilet that you want me to clean? Where are the feet that you want me to wash? I can do this. I deserve nothing. And you've blessed me and given me your heavenly kingdom. We are entitled because we don't understand grace. We don't understand justification. That's what I just described to you. It's phenomenal. I used the example. I used to go to rock concerts as a teenager before cell phones and standing up in the front of the stage, all you you couldn't see anything. All you could do is smell pot smoke. And at the beginning of the concert, so many times, the band you could hear them on the stage; they're getting their instruments ready. And all of a sudden, boom! Fire shoots up from the columns, thirty feet on both sides, of it. and literally, I've seen people fall on the ground. I mean, I've been up there, and you go, ah! That's grace. It's not soft and fluffy. It's a rescue of somebody that deserves complete, total annihilation forever and separation from God. It's not that hard of a stretch to go, you know what? I can have the mindset of a bondservant. Lord, if, if I don't go to hell, I'll scrub toilets and wash 30 feet the rest of my life gratefully with tears running down my face. Have this mind. Have this mind. Think like Jesus, even though His humility gap was enormous, we don't have one because we deserve nothing. Be a monster. Have the mindset of a slave. We're not talking about being dominated by people. That's evil. We're not talking about being tortured. Or beat, but that's evil. Jesus is using this as an example that everybody knew in the Roman Empire. You do what you got to do. It's fine. If God could get this echo from the hearts of his people, Lord, whatever you want me to do, it's totally fine. I'd do it joyfully. We would have a new day. We would have a new day. When you see yourself in the light of grace, you're grateful for the air that you breathe because it is His air. You're grateful that He preserved your life. I can think of multiple times in my life, even before I was saved, where if God hadn't supernaturally came in with angelic power, I would have died and gone to hell. Riding a motorcycle, flying down the road, no helmet, Total idiot. They would paved the road. One part was this much higher than the other. Cars were coming. Didn't have a license, of course. And so I'm riding down on the low part, flying. Here comes cars. Got to get up on the other. I had a buddy on the back of it. Went to pull up on that side, caught the tire, jerked it completely out of my hand. I just shut my eyes like I'm dead. And I don't know what happened, but he and I both felt the presence of God like we didn't even know what it was. And the steering wheel jerked back and my hands were on it. And I'm like, what just happened? When we stopped, he said to me, did you feel that? What was that? I said, I don't know. I know now. Grace, God's mercy. Culture says love feels like something. When you love people, it just makes you feel a certain way. Or you feel a certain way, and then you can do something for somebody. Jesus said, no, actually, love looks like something. It looks like a bond slave who does whatever is needed to be a blessing and to serve that person. Another quote by Richard Foster. I know you enjoyed the first one so much. Let's go for another a natural and understandable hesitancy accompanies any serious discussion of service. We experience a fear that comes out of something, comes out something like this. If I do that, people will take advantage of me. They'll walk all over me. Right here. This is so good. We must see the difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. When we choose to serve, we're still in charge. We decide whom we will serve and when we will serve. And if we're in charge, we will worry a great deal about anyone stepping on us, that is, taking charge over us. But when we choose to be a servant, we give up the right to be in charge. When we choose to be a servant, we surrender the right to decide when we will serve. We become available and vulnerable. Self-righteous service picks and chooses whom to serve. Sometimes the low and defenseless are served because that will ensure a humble image. True service is indiscriminate in its ministry. It has heard the command of Jesus. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. I like what Mother Teresa says. I belong to Jesus, and he must have the right to use me without consulting me. Do do you, can I ask you, do you belong to Jesus? Does He have the right to use you without consulting you? Okay. We we need to get awakened, I I feel, to this grace. You you know, now you know why the Bible commands us over and over again to be filled with gratitude. Why? Because you were going to hell. And nothing you could do would have stopped you. Justice demanded it except God who was rich in mercy. And because of the great love with which He loved us. When we were dead in our sins and trespasses, we weren't sick. We didn't need an extreme makeover. We were a corpse. We were dead. God came in the man Christ Jesus. Rescued us. This is the gospel. The gospel message is geared in some sense to change our mindset about what we deserve and our rights and to make us into bondservants and slaves. You know, Paul says multiple times in his letters, Paul, a bondslave, that's the word doulos. He's a slave. Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ and an apostle. I tell the students in MSM, you might be called to be an apostle, But if you're not a slave first, you're not safe. You're not safe. Whatever ministry you have, if you're not a slave first, you're not safe. Because you will dominate, control people, and use them for your own purposes to build your own ministry, to do your own thing. Slaves in ministry are the only ones that are safe. Zero amens. That's true. You should say amen. Amen. Have we not seen this demonstrated over and over and over again? It's true. Love is voluntary. I want to. I know it's five after twelve. Is everybody okay? You guys want to take a deep breath and say it's going to be all right for a few more minutes? All right, Galatians chapter five. I want you to look at this. It's really powerful. Galatians five verse thirteen. Just a single verse. The book of Galatians is called the Gospel of Christian Freedom. In it, Paul says to the Galatian believers, Don't become entangled again in the bondage of the law. You can't make yourself good enough to be right with God, and you can't keep yourself good enough to be conformed to the image of Christ. Your power is not sufficient to do the perfecting in you that needs to be done. You've got to be free. Christ came so that you'd be free from everything else except for him. And then verse 13 here, he gets to in chapter 5, so powerful. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Yes. We can get lots of shouts about freedom. Let's sing about freedom, 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 freedom. Come on, we're going to be free here tonight. Come on. Come on. Am I I telling the truth? This is what we do. Freedom. Come on, Lord. Everybody free, 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 free. We, We do that. But here's the point that Paul's about to make. Yes. But there's a point to it. It's not so you can be autonomous and do whatever the heck you want. What is the purpose of our freedom in Christ? Paul tells them here, verse 13. You are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The Greek word there is actually the verb form of doulos. Act as a slave. This is how Doug Moo translates it. One of my favorite commentators. This is what this should be translated is Act as slaves to one another in love. So here's the point. Love inside of us when it's real motivates us to do whatever's needed to do to bless one another, to act as slaves toward one another. How many hate this message? You hate it. Okay. I'm going to finish it anyways. This is the Bible I'm reading here. This is the Bible, God's Word. Every word is breathed by God. This is God's inner essence. This is His dream and community. It's over and over again. It's in the book of Acts. It's in all of the letters. I'm going to read you just a few translations of that verse. That's because I want to rub it in. But make yourselves one another's loving slaves. You must use your Christian love to serve one another as though you were slaves. You were called to freedom, brothers, only not freedom for the impulse of the flesh. Rather, be enslaved to each other by love. Another one. By love's promptings, become bondmen to one another. In love, act as slaves toward one another. In love, perform the duties of a slave for one another. How many don't like any of those translations at all? None of them. Okay, we want to go back to serve because serve gives us the right to choose when and where and how we're going to do it. This is the difference. When you're a slave, you don't choose because you have a master in heaven. And whatever he says, whatever he puts before you, you just say, yes, of course, I exist. Kenneth Weiss said that that word doulos means one whose will is swallowed up in the will of the master. Our will, when we rightly relate to Jesus as our Lord, which is how you get saved, amen? Okay, start that again. When we rightly relate to Jesus as our Lord, which is how we get saved, amen? We make Jesus Lord. He doesn't come to be an honored guest in our life. He comes to take over. He wants to look in your sock drawer. He wants to look in your bank account. He wants to look in your viewing history. He wants to look in your words. He wants to look in your thoughts. He wants to look in your fantasies. He wants to look in everything because he's coming as Lord to take over. That's the beauty of the gospel. He doesn't just come to say, okay, you're forgiven for your sins, but you're going to be this broken mess for the rest of your days. No, I'm going to make you into the image of my son. Hallelujah. How's everybody doing? You okay with me ranting like this and spitting? I've already had COVID in, so you are not going to get it. (laughs) Could you feel it on the front row? (laughs) She said a little bit. (laughs) All right. All right, let's look at verses 8 through 11. I'm going to close. I'm not going to finish the rest of the chapter I wanted to, but um, let's go verses 8 through 11, and then we're going to close with this. Then we're going to take a little test. Verse 8, how, um, sorry, I'm still in Galatians. Philippians 2 verse 8 says this, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We can't fathom how gruesome and how grisly crucifixion was, but it was called the death of slaves. That's what it was. For this reason, also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. It's beautiful just to read it, isn't it? And those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Two points I want to make out of these three verses. The exaltation by God is directly proportional to... Our humility, obedience, and servanthood. It's directly proportional. Is, is that not what this passage said? Because he humbled himself more than any man, God exalted him more than any other one and gave him the name that's above every name. There's a proportion to the degree that we humble ourselves and we have this mind. That's the degree of exaltation that God brings. The second point that we should notice is that the exaltation by God is sometimes delayed until after we're dead. Here's the point. Whatever service we offer to God, if we can get this mindset and we can serve not having to be noticed, not having to demand our rights, not having to be applauded and all of those things, if we can just serve from a heart that is motivated by the grace that we received at the cross, God has promised He is going to repay and exalt us. He's going to. Here's the question, is that enough or do you need all of us to say it too? Is that enough? Are the hours that you've spent serving in the nursing home or praying on your face before God crying out or giving in secret, are you okay? With the fact that nobody else on this earth may ever know that except for God. That's how you know that you're a bondservant. Is that okay? Now you know why I call this Christmas Day China Theology. Theology. If you haven't been cut by this passage, you haven't heard it. This is phenomenal. This is the literally the mind that motivated the Son of God in His ministry and took Him to the cross. That can be in a person. We don't have to live. The tyranny of living to save our life every day is unbearable. I love... Paul in Acts chapter 24. He's going from church to church on his way to Jerusalem. And there's prophetic churches. So the people are getting up there and when he's there, they're, they're putting their hands on him. They're prophesy over, prophesying over him. He goes, In every place that I go, the Holy Spirit's bearing witness to me that bonds and afflictions await me. And then he finally says, Of course he knows that. He's going there on purpose. Jesus said to him when he called him, This is Paul's calling in Acts chapter 9 when he's knocked off the horse and blinded. I'm going to show him what great things he must suffer for me, and he's going to bear testimony before kings. That's Nero in Rome. That's Herod in Jerusalem, but he's on his way to Nero. And Paul says to the believers there, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart like this? Don't you know that I'm not only ready to go to Jerusalem and suffer for the name of Jesus, but also to die for Him? Because the same spirit and the same mind that was in the Son of God got inside of a man. And he's like, Lord, I'm your slave. Whatever you say to do, I'll do. My life is not my own. I don't... I don't own my life. I don't own my dreams. I don't own my future. I encourage young people sometimes, change in your dream for God's dream. You got a dream to have the American dream, and I can tell you it ain't all that. And when you get to judgment day before the judgment seat, it's going to be totally ignored. Yeah, Yeah, but God, don't you want to see my house? He goes, "You, you probably want to see mine. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, almost there. All the things that were gained to me, I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, more than that. No, that doesn't say it strongly enough. This is the heart of Jesus in a person. No, more than that, I count everything to be what? To be dung, refuse, rubbish. In the light of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them, I count the suffering, I count the pain, as, as rubbish. I have this picture in my mind. Everything that was gained to me is rubbish. People inviting biting over. I was kind of raised in a middle upper class home, and so... Some of my parents' friends were millionaires. They had some nice stuff. And I picture, you know, it's on display. I went into a house one time, believe it or not, where people left the price tags on things. Just so you could see, this lamp cost $589. Here's the point (laughs) I digress. Hey, man, look at my stuff. You see my house? You see all the furniture? You see my cars? You see all this stuff? And in God's sight, here's a big pile of rubbish. And we're going, God, you see my rubbish? Isn't that awesome? It's so beautiful, that rubbish. And he's like, really? You you really are delighting over that? That's really what delights you? That's rubbish compared. You're not getting the comparison in value here. The value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord So far exceeds that, that all of the nice stuff is rubbish in comparison. Is that the way that we pursue God? All right, you ready for your test? And I'm going to close out. Thank you for being patient. And thank you for allowing me to spit up here. All right, kingdom mindset test. Everybody ready? Four questions. Not difficult. Here it is. Kingdom mindset test. Number one, do I regularly empty myself of things precious to me to serve others? Number two, do I chafe when my own rights and reputations are not being honored? Number three, Do I feel discouraged when my service is not fully appreciated? Number four, am I willing to meet the needs of others before my own needs are fully met? Have this mind in you. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. He, he existed in the form of God, He had it all, he deserved it all, but he humbled himself to the lowest place, even the he couldn't go any lower than crucifixion. That's the lowest. Have this mind. Have this mind. If God could get a people that were all of the same mind like this, what could happen in their midst? What could happen in the midst? This is what the Bible calls love. That's what we're called to. I want you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to pray. I want you to sign up again to be a kingdom-minded person. I want you to sign up again for the covenant community that requires sacrificial love, where love is something not just that we feel, but it's who we are and what we do. Father, I pray for us. I pray for myself. That you would make me and us into a people that you can fully inhabit. That all of the things that we're full of that keep you out, we keep inviting you in, but we're full of all kinds of other things. Mostly of our own making, our own desires, our own agendas, our own pursuits, our own loves. Lord, empty us of the things that keep you from coming in your fullness. Teach us how to have the mind that's in you. It's so antithetical to the way we think as Western Americans. I'm pleading with you, Lord, that you would do this miracle in our midst, that you would change the way that we think little by little, that you would be able to have your way in us as a community. That you would be able to fill all things with yourself in this place. Let's empty out everything else. Al, if you come up, I'm going to open up the altars. If you want to come down and just re up with the Lord, it's no big pull. If you just want to spend some time before the Lord, acknowledge your need. That's always a good thing. Say, God, here am I. I need you to change the way that I think and the way that I operate my life as a believer.